and welcome to season three of the Growth Adventure Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Appel. I am excited to be joined today by the current head of school for Heron Riverside High School, which as of this taping is her job description, but she has some news that as you're listening to this, she's happy to share, but welcome Katie Dorsey. Thank you so much. It is great to be here on my very first podcast, and I appreciate that it's called The Growth Adventure. I think that is good for a first podcast as well. Awesome. Well, over the course of the conversation, we will be talking about a number of things, kind of the intersection of education and entrepreneurship, your own growth as a leader, obviously here in Riverside, as well as the broader Indianapolis Classical School organization. But right off the top, I have not run this through our crack team of fact checkers, but I feel very comfortable saying that here in Riverside High School is the only high school in the United States, possibly the only high school in the world that has a working submarine replica in the basement. Is Can you confirm or deny that? Same. I have not done all of the fact checking, but we bill it the same way that this is a, a one one in the globe experience that our students can attend public high school in a building that also used to train servicemen to go serve in submarines and other ships. It's pretty wild. For the benefit of our listeners who are not in the central Indiana area, Heron Riverside High School is located in a building that was originally designed and built as a naval armory, which yes, we are in Indianapolis, Indiana, and yes, we have a naval armory. So it is a it is a fabulous building if anyone is in the area and gets a chance to check it out. But Katie, could you maybe start a little bit for the benefit of our listeners and kind of talk about Indianapolis classical schools more broadly, but specifically how long the Heron Riverside High School has been in operation? Absolutely. So Heron Riverside High School is a second campus of Heron High School. And the organization is nearing 20 years here in the city. Heron Riverside just finished its fifth year, graduated our second class, and really was born out of demand. So since it first opened in 2006, 2007, Heron High School has been the highest performing public high school in the city. So as you can imagine, lots of families were interested in taking advantage of a really wonderful college preparatory free high school experience for their students. So over the course of the years, demand outpaced supply and there was a need for a second campus. We also artist in service to the community and so wanted to be able to provide that same high quality free education in a different part of town. So began the process of looking and ended up at Hessler Naval Armory, like you already mentioned, an incredible historic location on the near northwest side of the city. Awesome. Well, you you touched on a couple of inadvertently, you did a great segue. You touched on a couple of points of demand and other terms that don't necessarily always go hand in hand with education. So you obviously you referenced that you are a public, a free public school. Mm-hmm. However, you are not part of the traditional public school network. You are a, a charter school. So could you maybe just briefly touch on kind of the model behind charter schools, how you how you see in your opinion, and that it just doesn't necessarily, you don't have to speak for the entire charter community, but mm-hmm. in your opinion, how you see the charter network kind of meeting, as you reference that market demand. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we are here in Indianapolis and within Indianapolis, the charter world, I would say, is unique even within Indiana at large. And so in Indianapolis, charter schools are really deeply integrated into public education options. And because of how our state laws and because of how different departments of education have structured themselves within the state, 
schools can start with a charter. Our charter is through the mayor's office and always has been. So in partnership with the city of Indianapolis, we've identified a unique school model and families that want that to be how their child is educated can choose that. And I think for us, we are really proud and glad to also be public right alongside that charter adjective and to be free as a result. And the state of Indiana requires that, that all charter schools have to be public, not for profit, but are able to then identify a niche or identify an instructional model and families can choose if that is what they're looking for for their student. Let's talk about that identification process a little bit, right? Because it's kind of it's almost, well, I'm sure there are more than three elements to it, but the, the one is identifying a need from a academic standpoint, right? So you've got a very specific educational model that's part of your charter that is your core philosophy of how you deliver everything. Then you also need to identify what is the area, geographic area that we want to locate in. And then it's what are the families that we want to serve? So I guess that's it, it, a very vague overview, but from a leadership standpoint, how would you say you prioritize those competing identification demands? I think for us, the the first mission is just to be the highest quality high school we can be. And so for us, that means that we are offering, we call it college preparatory, but really it is preparatory so that students who graduate from our schools have every option after high school. And if you look at the history of urban education and you look at outcomes for students, we know that it has been very challenging to ensure positive outcomes for all students, especially in urban cores and in urban areas. And so we found that to be the most compelling initial need is how can we, we use the phrase a lot, how can we get this right? How can we ensure that students who attend Heron and Heron Riverside High School have the opportunity upon graduation to pursue whatever choice they want after high school, whether that is a two-year college, a four-year college, apprenticeship, internship, military service, or direct into a high-demand, high-wage workforce. We want to ensure that they have options. And that isn't always the case when you look at high school outcomes, not only in, in Indianapolis, but really urban high school outcomes nationwide and historically, unfortunately. So I think for us, that need and that mission and model really drove the initial design. And then part of our core values is to be located just in an urban location so that families can access us easily. And interestingly, we are on the near northwest side at Riverside. Heron High School is closer to downtown. But both of our schools draw students from all over central Indiana, And it is a very intentional part of our mission and model as well to be intentionally diverse. But we um, find that families, even who don't live maybe within arm's reach of our schools, are also interested in that diversity. So they might live in a more suburban or homogenous area, but they want to uh, have their student attend high school in a more urban setting. Maybe they're commuting on their way downtown to your office to work and they want to be able to drop their student off on the way and have a really high quality experience. So the location piece is actually very interesting when you look at who all attends our schools, but I think really driven by the quality of experience that students will have. Well, you inadvertently, you touched on two of the themes of this podcast, which are growth and opportunity. So you you talked about how opportunity is core to the whole network's philosophy, but on the, on the growth side, so you touched on the fact that Heron High School was the, the original, the founding 
charter, and you don't have to give me 100% accurate numbers, but ballpark, from where you started, how many students were you serving? And where are you today with the you know three and a half schools that are currently part of the network? Yeah. So when I joined the organization in year three, we were serving about 300 students at Heron High School. We were adding a grade each year. So by the time graduated the first class, there were around 400 students. And now on that main campus, there are 950. On Riverside's campus, we have just over 400. So just in our two high schools, serving about 1,300 students here in the city of Indianapolis. Then when you add in the elementary school, again, looking at between 75 and 100 students per grade as those schools grow as well. So, you know, not a small number when you look at the number of families and students who are being served by our school organization here in Indianapolis. That's great. Well, I want to come back to the opportunity part, but while we're on the theme of growth, let's talk a little bit about you and your personal growth. So as as probably people are listening to this, you will have stepped into a new role. So maybe first start with sharing what your new role, what the philosophy behind your new role is, and then maybe talk about kind of your your career tra- trajectory from, you know, starting in education to where you are today. Yeah, surprise. The announcement's going out later this week, and the, the timing of this podcast just kind of aligns with this news. But I've been in the head of school role here at Riverside for six years, a year before we opened, and then the last five years. And as our as Riverside has grown, our network has grown as well. We've brought a new school online. Riverside has grown in enrollment. And as we're nearing that 20-year mark as an organization, are feeling the need to really take a deep dive at our systems, at what is unique about us, and to make sure that those things are documented well, aligned, and importantly, set up for sustainability, for future growth, so that any school that's ever associated with us, including the three we have right now, can thrive in the long term. And I think for me, it also aligns at a time and a season when I've had the chance to do quite a few things in our organization very gratefully, but because of that, have seen our educational model from several different angles. And I think it provides me a unique vantage point to be able to then put some of the pieces together and say, what is it exactly that makes us unique and allows us to have the results that we have? And where are the areas that we still need to push and grow to make sure the next 20 years are as successful or more so? Focusing on on you a little bit, from your perspective, from the time you left, let's just say undergrad, right? Because Mm -hmm. your first degree was in education, correct? Yeah. To where you are today, I guess, what a parallel question. One, what is the biggest thing that you feel like you have grown in? And what's the biggest way that you've seen education in general grow over that period of time? Yeah. I feel very lucky to have been here in Indianapolis for the duration of my career. I'm a Butler Bulldog. I came to the city for Butler University and then stayed and started my career in a traditional public school setting here, one of the donut schools, we call them outside of downtown Indianapolis. And after several years, made the switch to our organization, in part because I really craved this nimbleness to be able to make adjustments quickly to meet the needs of the students I was serving. And I, you know, was also young and willing to roll the dice a little bit, but I sensed that that might be possible in a smaller organization. And yet I wasn't willing to leave urban education. So to find a small school that could really be nimble in an urban setting was unique to be able to find that. Since then, 
I think I've, I've benefited from what I was craving, a nimbleness and a, a chance to kind of be invested in and have a chance taken on me. I was a school counselor and very happily so in the second phase of my career and was on maternity leave when the president of our organization proposed this idea of school leadership and helping to launch our second school. And she and I often joke now that I had just, you know, I had expressed too many opinions that when they came to the idea of who should be in charge or who should lead this thing, it's like, well, Katie seems to really have a lot of thoughts about how this should go. Let's capitalize on that energy and see if she'll help run this thing. And looking back now, I would not have sought it out for myself. And I think this is often how leadership goes, that an opportunity is presented maybe before my personal calendar, you know, my five-year plan said that I was ready, but it has been the most meaningful, rewarding, and most challenging, but way more than worth it opportunity of my entire life. And so now I'm just so grateful that I was asked and given the opportunity even before I felt like I was ready, but it just, it was so great. It really paid off. Well, I, I think the lesson here for the listeners is speak up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you, you don't get anything unless unless you have a, a voice at the table. But in all seriousness, Katie, it sounds like that experience has has informed how you have grown as a leader. I guess how how do you try to take what your mentors gave you through your career to get you where you are today, and how how do you pay that forward to not just your your administrative staff, but your you know, teachers, your counselors, everybody who is helping you serve students and families? Oh, that's a great question. I think I have benefited from people seeing not only, you know, potentially the outcome of my job description, but how it might apply in a new position, even before I'd had the opportunity to prove that. And I think being willing to see and imagine alongside people how they're unique traits and their unique passions and skill sets might play out in maybe even unconventional ways is a very exciting part of my job. I just was talking with a colleague yesterday that I think part of any leader's role should be helping anyone who works within their influence grow in their own careers and pursue opportunities so that, you know, you might end up having to replace people or someone, you know, might end up replacing you through that process. But it is so meaningful and rewarding to be on the lookout for who has really performed exceptionally in a current role and how might you imagine then those same skills in a role with even more impact or even more influence. Who I, One of the things I often am looking for is who has a little margin, who appears to be able to manage and you know, be so excellent at their work that they're ready for more. They have a little bit of that drive and a little bit of that margin. And if so, like, give it to them. What are they looking for next? And that's an exciting process to go through in our organization when we're looking for kind of who's up next and what might be the right fit for their skill set. Well, that's that's awesome. And I will give a I'll give a firsthand perspective of, of your impact. So don't hold it against us. But uh, our learning and development specialist cut her teeth with you at uh, Heron Riverside. And just earlier today, as we were taping, she was challenging a group of our managers and leaders as to how we can do better in our own professional development. And kudos to you for developing somebody who had the self-awareness to be able to stand up in front of a group of people and say, I'm assigning you this responsibility. And I expect that you get it done. And I can assure you, when she, 
when she assigns homework, you do it. Otherwise, you know that you didn't. So yeah. kudos to you for, for developing that. But so before we get back to opportunity, I do want to touch a little bit on, on the entrepreneurial aspect of maybe your organization specifically, but you know, probably more broadly kind of where charters fit into the landscape. But you, you used a lot of terminology that, you know, any business leader listening to this podcast would recognize, right? I mean, market opportunity, growth, you know, identifying, developing. How do you feel that either Heron's culture specifically or the charter movement more generally kind of melds education with kind of business entrepreneurship? And is, do you feel that there's a tension there? Or do you feel that they can naturally work together? I think there's a tension philosophically. Should schools function like businesses? And, you know, my nonprofit educator heart says, gosh, that sounds like a really hard equation that a school is going to function like a business. And yet I think ultimately when you look at identifying a problem and then proposing a solution, that is the work of educators right now. We are looking at what do our students need throughout their school experience, but what do they need when they walk across the graduation stage? And what are the solutions that we can offer once we've identified those problems? And those solutions need to come with fully thought out plans that have you know, budgets associated and personnel and programs and growth phases versus execution phases. A lot of the process is the same that you might see in a startup organization or in you know, an organization really trying to dig deep and perform excellently and prepare for the next level. And I think that oftentimes innovation is where our where a traditional business sector and a charter education sector might overlap. That there is just constant innovation in education right now. You look at the last two and a half years and we wouldn't have chosen it, but the need to innovate in order to make it through a global pandemic was just more than urgent. I can't even state how urgent it was. And so the you know, workshops and things that I think are presented typically to business leaders about innovation and adjusting to a new marketplace or to new demands are as relevant when you think about the work of educators too. And you touched on at the very beginning, referencing, you know, Heron High School's excellent reputation and outcomes. But, you know, if, if the output that you're looking for is student outcome, right? One, I guess, how do you define student outcome success? And, you know, for all, you know, my, for my benefit and any other non-educator, what are you looking at that's a leading indicator, you know, let's say, you know, whether it's a freshman or in your elementary school beyond just standardized testing. How are you, how are you measuring the plans that, you know, you talked about, you know, well thought out plans, outcome based, how are you assessing those? And, and do you adjust those through the year if you're not seeing the outcomes in the students that, that you were hoping for? Yeah, great question. I think the state of Indiana, what is happening at the state level aligns with what's happening at our local high schools too. Student success has to be determined by the student's own plan for him or herself and making sure that we are affording them the opportunity to have that life that they want. And so as we work with our freshmen, our sophomores, our juniors, our seniors, we're constantly asking them and looking at, you know, what do you want to, what do you hope to do the year after high school once you graduate? And are you on track for that opportunity? If a student wants to go to a really rigorous, competitive four-year institution, you know, they want to 
apply to a Ivy League or they want to go to Howard or they want to go you know, to University of Chicago. Well, we need to make sure that that goal that they have aligns with how they're spending their four years and what's the outcome. What is their GPA? Are they earning the right credits? If they are interested in an electrical apprenticeship, and that's a really high demand, high wage job in Indiana right now. Well, how can we make sure that we're getting them early opportunities to confirm that's what they want to do, but also to give them a really strong um, resume and that we can give them an internship opportunity, get them aligned with an apprenticeship. So for us, measuring success really comes down to the individual student. And you know, there are big buckets we're looking at, graduation rate, credit attainment, yes, standardized test scores. But I think for us, it gets so personal to can our students do what they want to do with their lives? Are the doors open for them? Are the connections made for them to be happy, fulfilled, and have a, a sustainable income and opportunities for them in the future? Thank you. And before we get to the lightning round, I want to go back to the opportunity component that that you touched on earlier. And you know, you were referencing while you intentionally cite your schools, you know, within metropolitan or urban area, you know, geographically different neighborhoods, you know, obviously somewhat of a neighborhood feel, but as you reference, you have students who are coming from all around central Indiana, you know, to both of your high schools. In since you touched on the fact that creating a diverse opportunity network is something that's core to the school. How, how do you want, I guess, one, how do you intentionally balance that demand and how do you account for the fact that awareness is as important as opportunity, right? And, you know, I'll just reference myself. Like I am aware of Heron High School. I am aware of Heron Riverside. I'm aware of the opportunity that my children could have if they applied to the, the, the schools, even though I might not be geographically situated right next to them. But, it does, does my application then stand in the way of somebody who might not be aware of the school? And I guess I, I'm probably not articulating that the best way, but how does the school try to maintain that balance so it doesn't just become a, a probably still a diverse school, but a diverse school of people who have the awareness and the opportunity to apply? It is such a great question. And you are you are getting into, again, the heart of innovation in Indiana and in charter school landscape right now. And just a quick summary of it, Indiana allows now for what are called innovation partnerships between charter schools and traditional school districts. And both Heron and Heron Riverside are proud innovation partners with Indianapolis Public Schools. And because of that partnership, we actually our school is within the umbrella of the IPS portfolio, Indianapolis Public School portfolio, which means we actually can carve out a geographic preference area for students who are within arm's reach in the same way that a traditional IPS public high school has maybe or used to have like boundary geographic boundaries for neighborhood schools. And so for us, it is a way to carve out that opportunity for the student who lives right down the street, who doesn't want to be in competition with a family driving in from a suburb. This is their school. It's right there. It's named after their neighborhood. We're Riverside High School. They should have an opportunity to attend. And so it gives them one additional kind of point in their favor when they're doing the application process here in the city. And we should do a whole other conversation about enrollment and how open enrollment and enroll in the enroll Indian Indianapolis is changing the landscape 
as well. But I think for us, the short story is we try to balance exactly what you said. We want as many families in central Indiana who are interested in our model to come, but also want to make sure we're providing opportunity for those who live closest to our schools. Thank you for that. And I would presume as a follow-on, part of that is also building partnerships with the middle schools that are within that geographic area? Yes. I mean, it is really incredible how much of a charter school or just really now in Indianapolis, a public school's job it is to market, connect, have pipeline conversations and make sure that students and families are aware. You know, I I knew I would become head of school. I didn't know that I first had to become a marketing expert and make sure that students and families were aware of what they were, of what the option was to choose us. And so that has been a huge part of my job and of the job of our organization is just to make sure families even know we exist and can choose us if they want to. And yet again, another example of the overlap between the business world and the education world. So. Yeah. All right. Well, Katie, we are going to pivot to the lightning round before we kind of close up and talk more mission focused around your organization. But I've got four questions for you. <clears throat> there are no wrong answers, only long answers. So let's keep okay. going. First question. What would we find on Katie Dorsey's car radio? Well, NPR, <laughs> I'm a, I really get a lot of joy out of steady news reporting. So that's my radio right now. Spoken as a true educator. Yeah. All right. So this is, I know this, I, I'm sure you probably have a stack, but what is one book on your bedside table? I am rereading Gilead by Marilyn Robinson. It's an incredible piece of fiction by a really influential author. And it, again, in the summer when I'm kind of have a little more margin, I tend to turn toward fiction and I'll layer in a lot of my professional reading too, but I used to be an English teacher. So I need that. I need that return to fiction. Awesome. All right. Next one. This is this. I promise this isn't a gotcha question. Cats or dogs? Dogs. Oh, I have an amazing mutt. My daughter just told a random stranger at the coffee shop today that our dog is probably the stinkiest dog in all of Indianapolis. And we just love that and love our mutt. So I'm very much a dog person. <laughs> Thank you. All right. And the last question is a little bit more serious. What is one of the best pieces of advice you've ever been given? Oh, gosh, that's such a great question. I mean, I think I'm going to go with just a phrase that has become a personal mantra through lots of phases of growth, since that's what we're kind of centered on. And it is a now made wildly popular by Frozen, but I it was part of my ethic before then, but it is just do the next right thing. And so often, I think in leadership, especially, there are many overwhelming demands and it is hard to prioritize or hard to feel like the work that you're doing is going to achieve the outcomes that you want. But when I zoom back and look at a page of notes or brainstorming and I say, what is the next right thing for us, for our school, for our purpose, often things crystallize for me. And that has very much been a guiding principle. So I'll sing the song every now and then from Frozen 2, but that phrase means a lot to me. Well, my niece will join you in a duet. Mm -hmm. but. So Katie, to wrap up, I've really enjoyed this conversation. As you said earlier, we could certainly talk a long time philosophically around education, education reform, access, community building, all that. But it, it could, in a way of closing, you know, if imagine the audience that you're speaking to now our middle schoolers, middle school families, maybe, you know, elementary schoolers who are, you know, looking at what options they have. How would you describe 
the Indianapolis Classical Schools Network? What is your philosophy and, and why should a family and student choose you? Such a great question. So I think, you know, on paper, we are classical, liberal arts and sciences, college preparatory, free school options, 9-12, but soon will be K-12, intentionally diverse in historic settings. Those are all wonderful reasons to choose our schools. But one word that hasn't come up yet in our conversation that is actually why I have stayed in the organization for 15 years is that we are a place where we do education with joy. It is a wonderful community to be a part of with teachers who are equally equally passionate about young people and their content area. And so when you walk into our schools, in our classrooms, in our hallways, what you often sense is palpable joy and educators that are loving the work that they're doing and young people that are thriving because they are being given the opportunity to pursue their interests and be truly who they are, uh, but also are being challenged at the right level. So I think ultimately as a parent myself, it is something that I didn't realize was so important that I want my child to be in a school that is really joyfully educating them. And it is something that I'm thankful for every day in my organization. And I think is why families often come and tour with us and leave saying, how do I sign up? So it's what I would encourage anyone considering us to look for and call me on it, you know, come and see if that's what you actually sense as well. But I feel very confident that you will. Choose joy. That's right. Thank you very much, Katie. I've really enjoyed the conversation. So as you have now transitioned into your new role, I sincerely wish you the best. Indianapolis Classical Schools is a great asset to the community, and I wish you and your organization nothing but the best. Thank you, Katie Dorsey. Thanks, Andrew. You too. Same to you. Same to you.